Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. The past is going to come up when heaven is quiet. Jesus left so many important things to women. You have this gritty faith about you that does not let go. What's up, Mosaic? It is so, so good to be here with y'all. I need to let you know I woke up this morning with a smile on my face. Some of you are wondering, Joel, why were you smiling? You know, one, yes, because I was coming here to be with y'all, absolutely. But there's another really, really important reason why I woke up with a smile on my face. Because when I woke up this morning with a smile on my face, it was a uh, notification on my phone that said, LeBron James is now down three games in the NBA playoffs. You know why this is so important? Because Michael Jordan has never been down by three games in an NBA playoffs. And this is good news for us on a Sunday morning. No, I'm kidding. Thank you. Thank you for indulging me with my sports obsession. Um, but I do have a question like, who's going who's gonna to come onto LeBron's side? He needs some help. He needs some, some serious help in this playoffs. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 124. Psalm 124, we're going to um, jump into a series of Psalms that are often referred to as the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. These are actually super powerful, important um, psalms. And I actually want to use a synonym. Uh, when we say psalms, I want to suggest a, another word that we should use, and it's songs. So yes, they're the Psalms of Ascent, but they're also referred to as the Songs of Ascent. Now, I don't know about you, but I got kind of deep into my uh, feels. Is that what the kids call it today? You can get into your feels. I got, I got deep into my feels, and I was thinking about these songs that, that play, and when they play, um, it brings all kinds of emotions, you know? Uh, and songs are super powerful because when you hear the tone, you hear the lyrics, and you hear the melody, you're listening to something in the present moment, but songs have the power to transport you into a past moment. It's almost like you can relive the, the moment that you first heard that song or the situations that you were in when you would often listen to those songs. I don't know about you, but um, the kids back in the day, when they wanted to impress a girl, they would burn these CDs with their favorite songs on them. Yes, you know, for the kids out there, there were these little round things you know, and you'd put them into a thing called a CD player. And when you put them in there, it would play to you. Yes, it was wild back in the day. And some of you are like, that ain't nothing. Let me talk to you about eight tracks. And then we will, we will really get into it. 
You see, there's a reason why songs are so important and so powerful. And, and here's what happens. We think like all in modern terms, like, oh yeah, like for me, I might listen to my playlist on my um, Apple iTunes or Spotify, or some of you are like, oh no, I still have some of my CDs of my favorite albums. And others of you are like, no, I got my eight tracks. And, and others are like, no, I got vinyls. We got to go to the vinyls. It is, yes, exactly. And vinyls are coming back. Did y'all know this? They're coming back. It's like a retro thing. It's like a retro thing. Now, long before CDs or um, eight tracks or even vinyls, there were these songs that the people of God would sing as songs of remembrance. Songs always had a vital role in the place of the people of God. So when we turn to Psalm 124, um, it's a series of, of 15 psalms in this uh, little series that, that were referred to as the Songs of Ascent. And let me give you a little bit of the, the background of why these songs were so important. Um, there were kind of two ways that these songs would have been sung for the ancient Israelites. Here's the first one. When they were in the wilderness wandering period, these songs were um, anthems of hope to remind them of a past plight and the future victory that only Yahweh could provide. So these songs were embedded into their hearts. Many years later, after the temple was constructed, when people lived all over the place, they would go back to the temple for worship, and they would have to travel a great distance. So what would they do when you're traveling, when you're camping, when you're going place to place? You, you get at a campfire, and, and you tell stories, and maybe you sing some songs. Well, these songs of ascent were the songs that the people of God would sing to remind themselves of the story of God. Here's another really interesting fact about the Psalms of ascent. My favorite place uh, is Israel. I've been to Israel three times now. And when you go up to the, to the temple, the, the temple actually has, this is wild, 15 steps. Well, how many Psalms of ascent are there? There are 15 of them. So there was this tradition that the, that the Israelites said they would go into the temple to worship. The tradition says this, this is found in the Mishnah, that um, they would take a step and they would stop and they would sing a song of ascent. And then they would take a, another step and they would pause and they would stop and they would sing a song of ascent. And they would do this, step three and four, until they finally get to 15. And some of you are wondering, Joel, that's going to take too long. Like, don't we want to get into the temple to worship? You see, this is an indication of how we have bought into a society, into a culture that cares more about the destination than the journey to the destination. Well, and here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. What good is it to get to a destination when the person you are at the destination is not the person you want to be. And this is what Yahweh is doing with his people consistently. He's letting them know that the journey is actually identity forming. And it's important for us to take a step and to pause and to rehearse the story of God in our lives. And, and to take another step and, and to pause and just remember the faithfulness, the, the covenant-keeping God who, who acts in human history. Because if he acted in the past in a certain way, we can have this confident assurance that, yo, he's going to keep acting in that way in the future. Patience. 
position, waiting. It's all wrapped up in these, these 15 songs of ascent. And so I want to make the suggestion that when we open up the the songs of ascent, what we're actually doing, we're singing songs. And what are these songs intended to do? These songs of remembrance are intended to reframe the mind, orient the heart, and direct the steps of the people of God. In other words, these songs were aimed at the whole of what makes up a human, our mind, our hearts, and our actions. Now, growing up, I got to be honest with you, um, I had a really big mouth. <laughs> Ironic how God's using me now, right? Like wild. Now, now here's the problem, right? Like I grew up in a, in a context where there weren't many Indian kids around. Like I was one of the minorities among the minorities. And so I learned really quick, like in order to not get made fun of, you got to make fun of first, right? Like, like a crucial survival discipline for any kid. And so I learned to become witty. And so if I even had this inkling that you're about to make fun of me, like, no, nah, I'm going to go first and I'm going to get you. But here's the problem. Back then I was like, my same height, but, but much thinner, like much smaller, like I would get whooped real easily, right? This is why I'm taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes now. It's to, to make up for what happened back then. And so I would get terrified because my mouth would get me into trouble all the time. Uh, but what I actually had in these early elementary school days, actually, was a cousin. Now, my cousin, his name was Moses, and, and Moses was about 6'1 by the time he was in seventh grade. He was a, a monster of a human being, just a, a giant, a gentle giant. And here's what would happen. I would get myself into trouble, and, and I would talk mass and, and, and get myself in all kinds of chaos. And, and these dudes would come, they're going to get ready to beat me up. And all of a sudden, Moses would come down the hall. And they would look up and be like, oh my goodness, you've got a brown giant behind you over there. And I go, yeah, that's my cousin. And you know, most of the time, he would get me out of the mess that I got myself into. And so eventually what ended up happening was people knew that Moses was on Joel's side. So my mouth got me into trouble, but Moses got me out. Now here's the question I have for us today. Who is on your side? Like, don't we long to have somebody who's on our side? When things go sideways, there's somebody on our side. When things are joyful and happy, there is someone on our side. When things are tricky and complicated and we're not sure how to process, we have somebody who is on our side. Now, you might right now, as I say, who is on your side, have a a mental picture, an image, or or a name of somebody who comes in your mind like, oh, yes, absolutely, she's on my side, or he is on my side. Like, I know that I can just text them in a a moment, and they are there. Can you just do me a favor? When we get done here uh, today, would you just text them and say thank you? Thank you for being my person that is on my side. And here's the thing. The people of Israel are consistently wondering who is going to be on our side. Who's going to help us when everything looks hopeless? Who's going to be on our side when when we are the smallest of the nations in the middle, uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world, and and there are these Canaanites and and the Philistines and the Hittites, and, and all of them are giants. We ain't nothing. Who is going to be on our side? 
King David is the um, attributed author of Psalm 124. If you've got your Bibles, let's open up there. This is why Psalm 124 is so vital for us because it's an identification. It is a retelling of a story that starts with who is going to be on our side. And this is how verse 1 starts. It says, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when the people attacked us. I'm going to just pause here. Isn't it so interesting how the psalmist frames this question? He frames it this way. If God had not. If God had not. Which begs us to consider where would you and I be without him? See, sometimes it's very easy for us to take for granted that God is. Of course, God's on my side. Well, well, of course, he's going to take care of me. Like, like of course, and, and that assumption can at times, not always, but let me just gently suggest, at times, be the soil that sows ingratitude. If you always just assume that he's going to be on our side, then will we take it for granted? See, the psalmist David, he's, he's actually doing something super important for, him, for us. He is shaking our minds and, and he's begging us to ask the question, well, what if he's not on our side? Could you just do a mental exercise with me and just wonder like, what if God was not on our side? What if there was no cross? What if there was no Jesus in the incarnation? What if there was no pillar of cloud? By day and, and a pillar of fire by night that led the Israelites out of Israel? What if there was no Moses? If there was no David? If there was no Abraham? What if there, there was no Yahweh? What if there was no God? Like, where would you and I be here today? We would be in a hopeless, hopeless situation. And so now we reframe this question from, well, if God had not, and now let's read through it. What, what does the psalmist say? What does David say? So he starts, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when the people attacked us. Verse three, catch this. There are four very distinct disasters that show up. When they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us, then the water would have engulfed us the torrents would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not, here's the next disaster, let us be ripped apart by their teeth. Verse 7, we have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn and we have escaped. And then David wraps it up in verse 8 by saying, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, what David actually does for us is he identifies four very specific types of disasters. And each one is super important. The first one is a reference to a monster that could take us out in one bite, right? In the ancient world, there were these two massive monsters. One was a land monster. The other was a sea monster. The sea monster was referred to as the Leviathan, Leviathan, basically a sea dragon, an absolute terror. The other one is a behemoth. The behemoth was a, a land monster, monster. These two images were images of death and destruction. And with one bite, they could take out the people of Israel. These were the types of scary stories you would tell little kids to get them to act right. If you need a story next time, just tell your kids about the Leviathan or the behemoth. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you were blindsided and just took you out? You didn't see it coming, and all of a sudden, you are upside down. This is the image of this first type of disaster, a type of disaster that comes out of nowhere and just squashes you. Here's the second one. The second one is a raging torrent that sweeps away and overwhelms. Again, there's a little bit of background here that's super important for us. Like in the desert where the people of Israel were, there were these pockets of land and, and the land would be wilderness. It would be super dry, but there would be these like overwhelming floods that would come in. And when the flood would come in, it would wipe everybody out. And so Israelites were always worried, like, where am I going to camp? Like, if I camped in the wrong location and it just happened to be flood season, the floods could come in and absolutely overwhelm us. They, it, would just, it would just take us out. I want you to imagine being on a beach and you see a massive tsunami that is about to take you out. How do you feel? <laughs> yeah. How overwhelming would that moment be? Here you are, a finite human being, looking at a magnificent act of creation, and you can't do anything about it. You're fully aware that no matter how fast you run, you will not outrun the tsunami wave. How do you feel when you're overwhelmed by something, where you are paralyzed by it? That's the second type of disaster. Here's the third one. Really interesting. It's the jaws of an animal that destroys painfully over time. This is like when you flip the channel to National Geographic, you know, and you see the, the lions and the hyenas. Keep flipping. You do not want to see what they're doing. It's wild. And this is what David's doing for us. He's kind of like, and by the way, there's another type of disaster. And here's the type of disaster. Imagine this, a big old lion who has just taken down his prey and he's licking his chops because he has slowly, meticulously worked through every bone of that carcass. He has nibbled away at it until the point that all you see is bare bones. Just want you to know, it takes time to get to a carcass with just bare bones. This is the image that we have here, a different type of disaster the jaws of an animal that, that destroy painfully over time. And the fourth one is, is kind of interesting. You, we move from images of creation to uh, an image of something that uh, creation created. So here we have it. The net of the hunter or the snare. There's an ancient um, inscription, this is kind of wild, that um, the Assyrian king Sennacherib, he boasted when King Hezekiah in the Old Testament was uh, basically being overwhelmed by this king. And this is what Sennacherib said. He said um, that he, the king, I shut him up like a caged bird within Jerusalem, his royal city. In other words, the king's like, I got gotcha. you. You're trapped like a hunter who set up a snare and the animal is caught within it. I love Psalm 91 verses three through four. The psalmist says this, for he, God, will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. So this fourth image is the image of being caught and you can't get out. You're stuck and there ain't no way out. It is being totally cornered. 
Now remember I said that these psalms are songs of remembrance. They're intended to recall past moments. As I was reading this, I kind of had this thought, like, I wonder if when the Israelites were singing this song, they were reminded of their shared history. Like, I wonder, maybe when they sang that line about the monsters, the Leviathan or the behemoth, they were thinking about wild animals in the wilderness that could just wipe them out. Or maybe the idea of the raging sea and the torrent, they were reminded of the Red Sea. And during the escape out of Egypt, how maybe if God didn't intervene, the, the waters could collapse on them, but instead it collapsed on the Egyptians. Or, or maybe the imagery of the animal slowly ripping its prey apart it might be the past story of the Israelites in captivity. Year after grueling year underneath oppression and suffering. And maybe the, the image of the hunter and the net might have brought up memories of Pharaoh and his chariots chasing the people of Israel out of Egypt. Like maybe all of these emotions and thoughts came to mind. And a quick note, each of these disasters that the psalmist puts out in front of us is a specific image. One is a sea monster, well, God created it. The next is the image of the seas, well, God created the seas. The next is the image of an animal who solely devours its prey. Well, God created that animal. The next, this is wild, is the ingenuity of the hunter who created the snare. Well, guess what? God gave that hunter the gift of ingenuity and creativity. God even created that. What does this teach you and I? It's super vitally important. When you and I are in the midst of these types of despair moments, these disaster moments, when we're full of doubt, We've got to learn to train our hearts to turn to the creation, to, to turn to the maker of creation, not the things that the creator has made. When you and I are in the midst of doubt, we have to be super careful that we don't turn to the creation to save us, but we turn to the creator. Now, y'all are like, Joel, I need some help, dude. Because I am not an ancient Israelite. I am not camping out in the wilderness. <laughs> I'm not worried about no fa fairy tale behemoth or Leviathan. Like, help me understand why any of this should make any sense to me now, today. Well, I actually think there's a lot of connection. Remember, these are images. And each of these images have a modern day relatability. Think about this. What are those things in our lives that can feel like they take us out in the blink of an eye. I was reading the other day about one of the most tragic things I've read recently. There was a couple who had just gotten married. You might have read it. It was on the news. They had just gotten married. Like literally, out, like just got married. They're on a golf course. And they got on a golf cart together. And they just got married. And as they were driving their golf cart, like away probably to, to you know, go and spend the night together, a drunk driver hit him, killed the wife, the new bride, and seriously injured the groom, the husband. She died on the spot. A few days later, he ended up having to go home. You know where the first act that this husband, newly married husband, groom had to do? It's plan the funeral for his wife. I don't think they had that thought as they were exchanging wedding vows, just an hour earlier or so. 
You see, in a blink of an eye, something could take you out. What are those things that overwhelm us? I don't know about you, but grief and sadness have a way of overwhelming us. Grief and sadness have a way of being that tsunami that we're staring at, that we know is going to overcome us, and it doesn't matter how fast we run, we just can't seem to get away from it. It's overwhelming. How about things that slowly undo us over time? Things like sickness and cancer. In the last six months, I've lost three friends that I've known very close to me due to different types of cancer. For one, it took two years. The other, it took three years. And the other, it took four years. Slow over time, like a vicious animal just destroying a person. Now, here's what I wish the scripture said. I'm just like committed to honesty at all costs with y'all. I wish what the scripture said is because of Jesus on the cross, good news, you never have to worry about tragic car crashes. Good news, you never have to worry about grief and sadness. Good news, you never have to worry about any type of sickness or cancer. But here's the challenge. We don't get the promise that Jesus prevents these things in our life. But what we are always assured of is that he will always be on our side through it. And this is so much more powerful. This is so much more helpful because the reality of sin and death on this fallen world. What better person to have on our side than the one who actually conquered sin and death? You see, the assurance of this truth, the the hope, the, the comfort that we have is absolutely connected to what Jesus did on the cross. I want to actually go ahead and, and connect those four things to what Jesus did. On the cross, death attempted to take Jesus out in a bite. In one moment, that's what death tried to do. You see, sin attempted to overwhelm Jesus and sweep him away by overwhelming him. You see, Jesus, on the road to the cross, he was tortured over a time period, 39 lashes minus one. Each of those lashes, a reason to give up. In fact, a wild story, three out of five people who went through the crucifixion just from the lashes would have died. That's what Jesus went through. You see, while Jesus hung on the cross, Satan thought that he had won. Satan thought that he was the hunter and Jesus was the prey and the cross was the snare. He's like, I gotcha. You are cornered. Now all your people's going down too. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 2, he says this, none of the rulers of this age, this is in reference to all the dark powers, including Satan, none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. This is wild. The very trap that the enemy set to crucify and destroy Jesus and his people became the very thing that ensured his own death and defeat. 1 Corinthians 15 54. It says this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. You see, of the four categories of disaster that we've just talked about, they're actually all systematically leading to one type of outcome that is like more overwhelming, more disastrous, more critical than any of those four things. You know what it is? 
death. Death is the greatest fear of humanity. Death is, is, is terrifying. Death is paralyzing. Death can take you out in a bite. Death can overwhelm you. Death can slowly eat away at you over a period of time. Death can be a type of snare that, that catches you and says, I gotcha. But Jesus on the cross defeated death through death so that you and I today, if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, the Messiah, we no longer have to fear death. Just um, a day ago or so, one of who I think the greatest theologians, pastor, scholars of our time, Pastor Tim Keller, passed away after a three-year battle with pancreatic cancer. It gave him um, some time to really reflect on death and, and how this cancer had just been really robbing him of, of, of life and, and of opportunity in the future. And this is what Keller said um, about death. I want to just quote him for you. Keller starts by quoting George Herbert, who says this, that death used to be an executioner, but the gospel just makes him a gardener. <laughs> Keller uh, expounds on this, and he says this, death used to be able to crush us, but now all death can do is plant us in God's soil so we become something extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, isn't that wild? that Satan's executioner, because of the cross, becomes a gardener of God. You see, Psalm 124, as we wrap up here, it reminds us of this incredible truth, incredible truth, that God is on our side. And we're left with this tension and the tension isn't a promise that we won't have fears, that we won't have pains, that we won't experience disasters. That, that's not the promise. And if that was the promise, you and I could all honestly look at God and be like, you're a liar. That ain't right. Because I fear. I have fears. I've, I've got pains. I've got disasters. Like, like, like help me process that. that. That is incongruent with my lived experience. Good news. The scriptures never promise you that. But what the scriptures do promise you is that Jesus is on our side. The good news is that we will make it through because Jesus made it through. And here's the thing. Sometimes, yes, God does save us from those disasters. And at other times, God saves us through them. Regardless, God is on our side. And this is eternally good news for those of us that turn to Jesus and put our trust in him. Let's turn back to Psalm 124, verse 8. This is how David closes this entire thing out. He says this, our help, the Hebrew word here is azer. It's a word that's used to describe a king who comes to the aid of a fellow king who is in total despair. Imagine being on a battle and all is lost. You know that the end is impending. And then, at the top of the hill, you see your friend, another king and his massive army. If y'all are Lord of the Rings fans, you know what scene I'm talking about with Gandalf, right? At the very top. And all of a sudden, the darkness is a brilliant light, and he comes down and crushes those orcs. It's the same image. Jesus is on our side. The darkest day of human history became the brightest hope for you and I. Our help, our Isaiah, our king is on our side. And, and here's really, really good news. 
of all of those lists of four things, of all the created things, God is the creator. That's why David says he's the maker of heaven and earth. So today as you and I walk through hard realities, despair, fear, we might be facing one of those four things. We might be facing um, something that could take us out in a moment. We might be facing something that is overwhelming or, or long-enduring type of suffering. We might feel like we got trapped up in a snare. I want to give you just this good news that Jesus is on our side. And sometimes he'll save us out of those things and sometimes he'll save us through them. But regardless, he is always with us. We're going to move into a time of reflection and response. Yeah, and some of us, we just need to process through it and spend some time with, with the Lord and, and just be like, hey, like, help me navigate this. And so if you want, we've got a section for communion. We've got a section where you can light a candle and at the cross where you can pray. You can respond to God. And, and if you need help, if you need him to be on your side, read through Psalm 124 one, one more time. And just know that, that this promise is confident assurance that's available to you today. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.